Well, it is so good to see all of you here in the house of God this morning. So welcome, welcome. It is nice to see all your beautiful faces, all you guys here at uh, here who have the mask on, but also for those at home. Welcome, welcome. It is nice to see that finally the sanctuary is filling up a little bit more. Amen. God is really good. Amen. And I know that He has something special for us this morning. So I'm going to, uh, you know, have finished my old sermon series where I talked about big butts of the Bible. Some of you are like, oh, finally, that one is over. No more big butts. Well, we're talking about the year of restoration. Amen. And Pastor David put that one as a theme for the church this year. The year of restoration. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a good year. And for you at home, also come turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a good year. Amen? I really believe it is. I hope it's not going to be a repeat from this year or the year before. But I really do believe that God has something special for each and every one of us. So the year of restoration, now that is something that we can get excited about. Because we say, okay, finally God will restore what I have lost over the last two years. Maybe it is... A peace. You know, over the last two years, I was so anxious. I was so worried that I would uh, co uh, contract COVID-19 or that my entire family would suffer, that something would happen. So it really robbed you of your peace. I believe God wants to restore peace to you this year. Amen. And I also believe that God wants to restore what you have lost. Maybe it was a, a promotion that you have worked for for so long. And everything was put on hold. I believe that God wants to restore that. Maybe your business has suffered. I believe that God wants to restore everything that the enemy has taken from you. Amen. And that is something we can say yes. But we have to understand the prerequisite for a restoration is that before that, it was lost. Or it was damaged. Or it was taken away. Or it was stolen. Only then... Does it make sense we say, God, restore to me? It only applies when there's things that have been taken away, things that have been stolen, things that were not come to pass how we expected them to come. When God says, I will restore, that means something was lost before. And I believe that God really does want to do something powerful. You know what? Years ago, I watched a TV show. I'm not sure where it was, somewhere in Astro, and I still had Astro. And it was from rich, no, from rags to riches or something like this. So they would find all items, maybe in garage sales or maybe in old storage locker units that were auctioned off. They would find old items and then they would buy it and then they would restore it. And then they would always show this was the price that they paid at first. And then this is the price later on that they restored it for. And this is the new value of the item. And if you've seen that, you saw that before that, the value, of course, was very, very low. Okay, so you, so you saw at the beginning of the show that the value of the item was so low because it was just left in a barn, left in a storage locker unit for years and years, and now it did not look anything like the original anymore. So they would restore it, and with the restoration, the value of the item came up again, sometimes even more than what it was value when it was first brought out into the market. 
And I believe that is something that we can hold on to and say, God, what I have lost, what was stolen from me, I expect God to restore it and that now the value that it bring, bring to my life will be even greater than it was first brought out. I want to have that kind of God who blesses us not just enough, not just barely enough, but He wants to bless us in abundance. Amen. But like I said, it requires that we have lost something or something was taken from us. And that is something that we don't like so much. But that is the reality. Life is not always fair. Just the other day, one of my kids said, oh, this is so boring. Life is boring. I wish I could play PS4. Life is boring. They said, well, life is not always fair. Life is not always exciting. Life is sometimes you just go through a period of time where you just have to hang on and do your best and just keep on doing it because it's the right thing to do. But I do believe that there are times when it gets exciting again, where God comes through and He shows up in our life in unexpected ways. Just what, two weeks ago, Jonathan was preaching about expect the unexpected. Those are good times where God shows up and we did not even expect it. But I believe this is something that we should have an attitude in our heart saying, God, I want to see you move. I don't want to wait until mid of this year, June, July. I want to see you move in my life now. So restore what needs to be restored. But when I was preparing for this message, one thing came very clearly in my spirit is that God wants to restore all the things that we talked about. The promotion, the finances, the business, all that one, yes. But I believe God also wants to restore things into the church that have been lost or just laid dormant. And today we're going to talk about restore generosity. Restore generosity. I can see it on your faces. That one hits a little bit, right? We are talking about God, give me my promotion. God, give me my finances. God, give me the breakthrough in my business. Yay! God, restore generosity. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Pastor, does it mean now you're going to talk about money? A little bit, but not the whole message. It's just a small portion because I believe generosity is so much more than just how you give. It is so much more. Generosity is something that we have to cultivate in our life, in our character, in every aspect of our lives. Not only apply to finances. We have to be generous with other things that we have in our life. Generous. Because I believe that is what gets God's attention. We sang the song, tell me what moves you. God, what moves you? I believe a generous heart moves the heart of God. A life of a generous person moves the heart of God. Today we're going to go into the text Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. And there it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Let me say it again. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Another translation says, whoever blesses others will be blessed. Amen? So it goes far beyond just finances of how we give to God, how we give into the kingdom of God. It goes beyond that because it says a generous person, not a person who gives generally, 
or generously, a, a, a generous person is blessed. Amen? A generous person is blessed by God. It gets God's attention. And it's not just one aspect of your life, like your finances. It comes into every other aspect of your life. God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is that we have to be generous with our giving. We have to be generous with our giving. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. That is a scripture that most of us know by heart, right? But I believe God modeled how to be generous right in this verse. Because mankind, Adam and Eve, messed up in the garden. Nothing to do with what God did. Their own decision to go against God, to sin. And now God says, okay, there is a problem that we have. But because I love my creation, I will step in and give. What did he give? His only begotten son. So God right at the beginning already demonstrates how a generous person has to live. Because of the love that God had for his creation, when he saw that there is a problem, he provided, he gave his only son. So we have to be generous in the way that we give. And why do we give? Because we love. Come on. If we follow God's example, we don't give out of a bad conscience. Come on. We don't give because we feel guilty. We have to give because we love. Ever sitting at a mamak shop or wherever, and then one guy comes with a little cup, and then he shakes the cup right next to your, uh, to your table. He wants a little bit here and there. How does it make you feel? Makes you feel a bit guilty, right? I would feel so bad. I have to look the other way and say, no, man, thank you, thank you. Okay, I'll give you one ringgit here or maybe two ringgit, right? We give out of a guilty conscience. We give out of guilt. But God wants us to come to a place where we give not because of guilt, but we give generously, but we give with a cheerful heart. We give because we love. That has to be the motivation why we give. And in the same, we, we give not because we want in return, even though that is a promise that God has given us. If we bless someone else, God will bless us as a promise. But that doesn't become the reason why we give. It's like, oh, you know what? I need some money, so that's why I give. When I was in Bible school, there was uh, the Bible school organized mission trips, especially to Mexico, because I went to Bible school in America. So for them, Mexico quite near, right, bordering country. So they would organize trips, mission trips to go to Mexico. And so they opened it up for the students. So, but you had, to, of course, to cover your own cost. So I had one of my friends who said, you know what? The mission trip is going to be 1,500 USD. You know what? I'm going to make some math. I have to give. I give 10% and expect God to bless me in return with the money that I need. So I only give, what, 150 USD as an offering, expecting God to bless it and give me 1,500. <laughs> you know what? May I suggest that we don't become calculative with God? Because if we really look at it, we have received so much more than what we have given. True or not? God gives us life. 
He gives us health. He gives us strength so that we can make money, that we can, you know, work hard, work smart and receive finances. But then it's time that we start to be generous with our giving. Luke chapter 21 Verses 1 through 4, Jesus looked up and saw rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So I also, and we have heard that many times, I'm sure, Pastor David, over the few years you have heard it many times if you have been part of this church, that uh, it's not so much the amount of money that we give, but it's with what kind of heart and what kind of attitude we give that really counts before God. That's why the riches put in a lot. But when she, the widow, put in just a little bit, just two copper coins... For her, that was sacrificial giving. For her, it was something that she actually could not afford. And that triggered the attention of Jesus. He was, I'm, I believe that he was pleased with the rich giving out of their abundance. But what really caught his attention was when this poor widow gave a little bit because it was sacrificial. So the way that we give, the attitude with which we give our finances means a lot to God. Amen? So we have to give, and we have to give sacrificially. We have to be generous with our giving with a cheerful attitude. And that's what I love about this church where Pastor David doesn't come in and he has a service where he steers our emotion and then says, okay, now let's collect the offering. And then you feel like all hyped up and you give, and then you go home and say, ah, maybe I shouldn't have given so much. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't have given so much. Now how to last over the month? No, Pastor David says, maybe next week, two weeks time, we're going to collect an offering, come prepared and give what you feel you should give. So that we are not trying to manipulate you to give more, but you think about, you count the cost, how much you want to give. And then you give it with a cheerful heart. Because before God, that counts more than if you have given more. Amen? You know what? Just a few weeks ago, we collected an offering to help those who were affected by the floods in Srimuda and Sha'alam, right? So uh, Pastor David announced it like a week before, said, come prepared. So when we were driving, Joanna was sitting next to me. We were going to one of the activities of the children. Then I said, okay, babe, how much should we give on Sunday? On top of our usual offering and tithes, how much should we give, especially for those who have been affected by the flood? Then she gave me an amount. Now, what I didn't tell her is that when I was thinking about it earlier, how much should we give, it was the exact amount that she told me. So that is already good. So we are on, on one level, right? But then I thought when I was thinking about it earlier, I said, God, I want to give sacrificially. God, I want to stretch so that I can give more than what I would actually feel comfortable of giving. So I doubled the amount that I have first had in mind. So when I told her the amount that I had in mind, which was now actually what she had in mind, but I doubled it because I wanted to give sacrificially, I said, how about we give this much, double the amount? And then she thought for a while and said, okay, let's do it. Let's go for it. Now that is when you know you have a good wife, amen, 
who doesn't mind to stretch our faith, to stretch a little bit, to give a little bit beyond what we would usually feel comfortable in giving. But we did. So I believe we have to be generous with our giving. We have to be generous, but we have to give it with a cheerful heart. So count your cost. Don't feel obligated. Don't feel like, oh, I have to give. And that's why it's so hard to open my hand, right? The, the, the ushering baskets go around and you kind of want to let go, but you say, hey, let go. But your hand doesn't want to follow what you're telling. No, we have to give generously, but we have to give with a cheerful heart. Amen? Amen? Very quiet this morning. Okay, this was for the finances. Now we can all relax. Relax, shake a little bit. Now no more money talk. Okay, second thing we want to talk about is we have to be generous with our time. We have to be generous with how we spend our time. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I have asked for of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to choir in His temple. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now it is said that the language of love is exaggeration, right? So when David said this, I want to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, it was an exaggeration because he was a king. He had so many other things to do. He had to have meetings. He had to go to war. He had to go and plan. He had to go and see people. He had to welcome a subject and then talk to them and see what is their need. All these things were the duties of a king. So he was a busy, busy man. Anybody can identify being busy? Busy, 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 busy. But then he said, you know what? I want to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Of course, it was an exaggeration, but he made it a point, a priority in his life that he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. And I believe that is something that we have to emulate in our life. No matter how busy we get, that we say, I want to be in the house of the Lord. I want to spend time with God. I want to uh, put time aside to spend with God. Because I can guarantee you, even in the few years that I have lived, because I'm still so young. No one says amen. Okay. In the few years that I have lived, I have found out if you don't make it a priority, other things will come up that seem more important at a time that all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation like, hey, I didn't spend time with God today. Maybe not even yesterday. Maybe not even the whole week. Come on. It's a bit too honest, right? A bit too real right now. But sometimes if we don't make it a priority, other things will creep up and take our time. And before we know it, we don't have any time with God anymore. But I believe that we have to be generous with our time in making God a priority again. And I don't want to say, you know what, just put it on your list. Because then it just becomes another thing that you have to do. Oh, I have to get up. I have to get the kids ready. I have to go to work. I have to do all my work. I have to come home. I have to do some more work. I have to take care of my family. I have to spend time with them. And then you just add on another thing in your calendar every day. I have to spend time with God. Now, how will that affect the attitude with which you go and see God? It won't be a cheerful attitude, right? 
So we have to make it a point that it becomes part of our life that we actually look forward to. But pastor, that is easier said than done. And I know. But because I'm standing up here, I can tell you how it is supposed to be. And you have to figure out how you put it into practice in your life. So I have the easy part. The hard part is now, of course, for me in my own life also, how do I make this a reality? How do I actually priority, prioritize time for God in my life? But we have to find a way. And we have to prioritize our time with God. Amen? But we also have to prioritize how we spend time with others. With God, but also with others. You know what I read before? That the way that children spell love is T-I-M-E. Now, of course, you're like thinking like, oh, what T-I-M-E? How is love spelled L-O-V-E-A? That's not the same. The way that kids spell love is T-I-M-E, time. They want attention. And they want you to pay attention to them. They want to be recognized. They want to be noticed. They want to be praised for what they are doing. But true or not, we are also a little bit like children. We also want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be told, good job, when I did a good job. I don't expect people to say good job when I didn't do a good job, but when I did a good job, I expect people to notice. And it is so nice if you hear an encouraging word. Amen? So we have to make sure that we spend time with others and spend it intentionally. Just the other day, we were with, uh, sitting down and watching TV. The other kids went up to sleep already, school night. So we put them to bed early. Joanna and I, we came down watching TV. And the little one, Nadine, is not in school, not in kindergarten. So she was with us downstairs watching TV. So I was watching my TV program. And Joanna had her phone out. So there was music playing on the phone. And she was dancing to the song. And then I hear Joanna whisper to me, say, hey, she keeps on looking at you. So I looked at her. And then she was dancing, always looking at me. Then she kept dancing. And then she looked at me. Then she kept on dancing, looking at me. She wanted my attention. So thankfully, God, Joanna, uh, you know, tapped me a bit and made me aware of it. So I said, oh, you're so good like you. Oh, you're such a good dancer. Oh, you're, you are a dancing queen. Oh, such a good job. When in reality, of course, her dance moves <laughs> look like when I would dance, yeah? That's why I don't dance. But you know what? She wanted attention. She wanted to be praised. She wanted to be noticed. And if we are honest, we also want to be noticed. But we also want the attention of people around us. So let me encourage you. If you spend time with God or with people, do it intentionally. Not always on your phone, but with them intentionally paying attention, paying focus on them. So that we can spend our time generously with God and with people. Amen. So do it intentionally. Number three, we have to be generous with our compliments. We have to be generous with our compliments. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. How to encourage one another. That is what God wants. When Paul writes here, he's telling the church, you know what? We have to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Be the one who encourages the other person to do good and to love and to become the person that God wants them to be. Be an encourager. Because reality is, the world is full of critics. True or none? Especially now with the, the time of Facebook. Maybe I'm old school. Now it's TikTok already. But even then, Facebook time, everybody has an opinion, right? Everybody wants to make their opinion heard. And everyone is a critic. Oh, this one wasn't so good. Oh, this one can be better. Oh, this one was not nice. Right? So the world is full of critics. But the world needs more encouragers. So may I suggest that we put it in our heart and say, God, let me become an encourager. One who encourages others to spur them on for love and good deeds. Let me be the one who encourages other people so that I can have the life that you want me to have. And we have an example in the Bible of Barnabas. Now Barnabas, that was not his original name. His original name was Joseph the Levite. But he was so encouraging that all the people around him told him, you know what, we cannot call him Joseph anymore. We have to call him Barnabas, which means encourager. So because he was so full of encouragement to others, they said, you know what, we're going to give you a nickname. We're going to give you a different name. No longer Joseph, you are Barnabas the encourager. I want to be in a Barnabas. I want to be one who encourages people to spur them on for love and good deeds to become one who encourages, not tear down. But pastor, sometimes we have to give our honest opinion. Absolutely. We have to keep it a hundred. We have to tell because sometimes we have to be aware of things so that we can become better. True or not? Because I have blind spots. I don't know things that I have in my life that still need to be changed because it's a blind spot. That's why it's called a blind spot. Right? Things that I don't see but people close to me are aware of it. So I have to be willing to listen to the flaws and the shortcomings that I still have in my life. So being an encourager doesn't mean that you can never ever say anything because even the Bible says tell the truth. But how to tell the truth? In love. In love basically means in a way that the person will be willing to accept the truth that, is, that might not be easy to hear. Amen? Or Stefan, you have a short temper. You have to work on your patience. Ooh, something that I don't want to hear, right? As a pastor, you're supposed to be almost Christ-like, almost perfect already, almost ready to float with a halo around your head. So if there's someone telling me, you know what, you need more patience, like, ah, oh, that hurts, but yes, it's true. So I have to find it in my heart as well to, to take it, that criticism, and to apply it in my life so that I can become a better person. But how do we tell the truth? 
with love. So that in it all, overall, that people don't look at us and say, yeah, he always tells me what's wrong in my life. We don't want that either, right? We want to, to say people of us as, he is an encourager. He praises me. He lifts me up. He makes me want to go on another week in my life, even though things go wrong. So we have to be generous with our compliments, how we treat people with love to spur one another up to good deeds. Amen? Amen. You know what? When your wife comes and says, Honey, does this dress look me fat? Let me tell you. You have to answer right away, no. Immediately. No consideration. Don't look up and down, up and down, and then say, no. Cannot. I only married a few years. I mean, what, 15 years? Maybe 16, 15 years. But I have figured that one out. If she says, do I look fat? No. Immediately. And for a bit more effect, you have to jump back a little bit. Darling, do I look fat in distress? No. You have to jump back. Then only it's good. Because if you wait a little bit too long, she will go and change. And even though she looks beautiful in the next one, it's not good enough. Because you hesitated the first time, no matter what you say after that, it will never be good enough. So take it from me. If she asks, no, and jump back a little bit. But then you can say, oh, maybe you should try another one. You know what? That turquoise dress, that would look even better on you. Ah, that one can. You know what? Sometimes we have to tell the truth, but in love. Amen? And that is the way that we have to respond to people as well. How do we treat one another? Do we spur one another on for good works and love? Encourage them? Or are we the one who always tells what needs to be changed? Let me encourage you to become an encourager. Amen? Because the world needs more encouragers. Number four, very quickly. We have to be generous with our talents. We have to be generous with our talents. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So how should we approach everything in our life? As doing it unto God. Amen? How do we do our work in our job? As doing it unto the Lord. How do we treat other people? As doing it unto the Lord. How do we live our life? Every aspect of it should be we are doing it to serve God. So we have to bring the talents that we have back into the house of God to serve God, but also to serve others. Amen? Because I believe that is what God wants to restore in His house. A generosity to use our talents to bless others. Not to be recognized, but to bless others. Because when we bless others, God will bless us in return. But we want to do it so that we can be one who blesses people around us. You know, the Bible talks about the talent, uh, the parable of the talents, right? And in the Synoptic Gospels, there's two versions of this. One is in Matthew, the other one in Luke. The one in Luke is a lot harsher 
than the one in Matthew. But anyway, both talk about that there is a master and he goes out of the country and he gives some of his servants talents or money. And they say, okay, you go and you steward it. When I come back, I will expect a good return. So he gives the money to his servants and he goes out. He comes back maybe a year or so later and then he said, okay, what did you do with the money that I have entrusted you with? And then the first servant comes out and says, you know what, I took the money, I invested it, I had a good return, here is your profit and here is the money that you have given me. Ah, well done, you are a faithful servant. The second one comes along and says, master, I took the money, I also did, did something, I have a profit, here it is. Ah, well done, you faithful servant. But some of us know this story already. The third servant, or Luke had a little bit few more servants. But the last servant came and said, you know what, Master? I know that you are a hard man. So I took your money and I buried it. Luke says, I put it in a corner. I put a cloth over it. Basically, I was hiding the money for you to return and give back to you what you gave me in, re in, in the first place. And then he got angry as the servant says, you are unfaithful. You are not a good servant at all. Why? I believe not because he didn't do any profit on the talents that he gave or he received, but it was because the potential that he had was just going to waste. I mean, think about it. The master gave his servants money to invest. So the master knew there is potential in these guys to make money. And because he wanted also money, he entrusted them with the money knowing that they have the potential to do more with it than just what he gave them. But because the one servant gave back exactly what he received, not even trying, he said, you know what, the potential that you have that I saw in you is going to waste and that's why he got upset. And I believe God has given each and every one of us a talent or a gift. Something that he put in our life that is uniquely yours. Something that you can do better than the people around you. It might be cooking. It might be cleaning. It might be being welcoming to people. It might be relationship. It might be singing or serving here in the worship team. Whatever you have, you have a talent. And God wants you to use that talent to become a blessing. So we have to learn to be generous with the talents that we have received. Otherwise, God will be disappointed because we have never used our talents to bless people around us. Amen? So we have to have it in our heart to say, God, I want to be generous with the talents that you have given us. And it's so good to see that we have so many here in the church who are willing to put their talent into the kingdom of God. Ravi, he's not here today. He's at home recovering, so can pray for him as well. But how he comes in, he gives his best. He gives advice of how we can make the live stream and the recordings better. He's doing a good job in his actual job, but he's bringing it into the house of God so that we can improve and get better. Rini, she's known in the industry for being a sound engineer. He's bringing his talents into the church so that he can bless all of us. Amen. Keith, a great musician, not only doing good uh, things out in the world, but he's bringing his talent into the house of God to bless others. 
And of course, all the other ones are on the team who are serving. We are all so proud of each and every one of you. But you bring your talents into the house of God and you bless others with it. And I believe there is where the blessing lies. Where you bless others, God will bless you in return. So we have to become generous with giving our talents to bless the people around us. And that doesn't mean that it's only in the house of God. That is how you treat your people, your neighbors, the people that you work with. How is it? How do you bless them with the talents that you have? Because that is what God is after. So that when people look at you, he will, they will see Christ in you. Of course, they won't know it's Christ. They just see, oh, that person is really a good person. A person of character. A person who does what they say they will do. A person who is reliable. A person who is trustworthy. A person who is friendly. A person who encourages me when I am down. A person who is there to lend a listening ear when I need someone to listen to me. May they see the talents that you have in your life so that you produce it and that you will bless them out there in the world. That they will become like, hey, what's going on? There's something different about this person. And hopefully they will ask, you can bring them to church and they can experience God for themselves. But we have to be generous how we use our talents. Amen? May the uh, praise team come this morning.